Supporting Teachers podcast, a podcast that supports future teachers and those who are in the classroom. And this is series eight. And as with all series, I like to do something a little different and capture some different ideas, ways of working, work with different people and inspire you as you become teachers and work as teachers. So this series, I'm collaborating with the Office of Australia's Women in STEM Ambassador. And I'm working really closely with the amazing Becky Lawrence, who is the program coordinator for Future You, as well as her colleagues. And I'm really excited as we dig deep into this initiative and talk about the importance of STEM, careers education, and particularly empowering our women. So Becky, hello. Hi, Narelle. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be here again to talk about the importance of incorporating careers education into lesson planning. And as you mentioned, I am the program coordinator for Future You, an initiative from the Australian government's Women in STEM ambassador, Professor Lisa Harvey-Smith. It's a really fantastic team to be part of. Everyone's really committed to driving gender equity initiatives and focusing on efforts, um, our efforts on projects that will have an impact. It's so exciting. And for this episode, we have a special guest. Hello, Catherine. Hello. Um, uh, my name is Catherine White. Uh, I'm a teacher in Canberra. I work at uh, Marici College, which is a girls school here. Uh, but I'm also the program director of the Australian Junior Science Olympiad. Uh, so I sort of have two hats here. But um, I'm sort of joining you today to talk about um, uh, an initiative that I put together at Marici, which was an engineering elective that we got going that has proven to be a, a really, really satisfying thing to, to have created. Yeah, fabulous. We can't wait to unpack. So I was thinking, you know, as well as running the Australian Junior Science Olympiad, you're also a teacher. And Becky was sharing with me um, some of your experience the other day, and I hope you don't mind, but these were really inspiring and particularly from the perspective of innovation, persistence and change. And I wondered if you'd be open to sharing um, a bit of an insight into this with our listeners. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So uh, when I joined Marichi College, that was about uh, 13 or 14 years ago, um, the school had a great variety of excellent electives, uh, but they were missing something for girls who were interested in science and engineering and, you know, hands-on uh, type of stuff. Um, I suggested some kind of STEM elective for our year nine and 10 students. And there was initially some skepticism, but eventually they let me give it a shot. And we had two classes of girls choose it in the first year that it was offered. And it's Amazing. been running ever since. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Uh, and it continues to be popular, which is great. It wasn't just a kind of flash in the pan. Mm. Um, so in designing the program, I started out by looking at uh, that really great work done by Dr. Scott Sleep, um, uh, north of Sydney in his iSTEM program. Uh, and I adapted those ideas to design something that I thought would work in our school. Um, so I built it around four individual semesters, uh, structural engineering, energy, rocketry, and mechatronics. I took advantage of some interesting local contacts uh, that I had, equipment that wasn't too expensive. And I also incorporated a strong focus on engineering being for people. And this seemed to be really important mm. for the girls that, the, you know, the purpose of all the technical stuff is to make life better for us and for others. You're not just doing the technical stuff for its own sake. 
That's such a really, like, that's a really valid point because I was telling actually the last two episodes that we've been talking about um, how to increase participation and engagement with students. It's really about bringing that social relevance into the lesson. So, you know, making sure that students understand that the focus of engineering is for people and it's for a social benefit and it's to improve lives. Um, you know, that's just integral to making students want to be um, involved in these things and want to learn more. I was wondering if you could share some of the strategies or techniques that you used to encourage the uh, participation of students in um, that engineering elective when you introduced it. Yeah, look, to be honest, I, I was lucky. I didn't actually have to try very hard to get the girls involved. It, it really was a case of build it and they will come. Um, it's possible that in a co-ed school, I might have had to work a little harder to overcome ideas about you know, whether engineering is something that girls could do. Um, so in that case, I would use sort of a combination of careful managing classroom dynamic, uh, sorry, carefully managing classroom dynamics and really engaging invisible female guests and role models, much like the Future You program is doing. Um, and in fact, I did that with my girls as well. But I think if I were to do it in a co-ed environment, I would just have to be a little more uh, put a little more energy into that side of things to make sure that the message was really getting through. Um, that, you know, that the chatter about the elective was kind of pro-equality and not just maintaining the status quo. Um, there is a course at the ANU here in Canberra, they run in uh, what's called the ANU Extension, which is for sort of talented mm -hmm. year 11 and 12 year olds. There is an engineering course as part of that. Um, and they also found that when they shifted the focus of the course to something that had more of a social relevance, uh, that they got more girls coming, which was, yeah. So it just, it backs up that idea that it is in, the context is really important. Mm, most definitely. And thinking holistically as well. Um, really, really quite significant. So I was wondering, Catherine, how did you create an inclusive and engaging learning environment that encouraged the students to actively participate in these STEM activities? Well, something that helps with participation is to explicitly address um, the issue of things going wrong, right? Because that's sometimes when you you lose kids. Mm. Um, and that's obviously crucial in engineering, um, but it plays such a big part in anything that's challenging. So I make it the focus of one of my semesters that the students are going to bounce back, that this is going to be the thing we're going to talk about is that stuff is going to go wrong and how we're going to bounce back from it when things don't work. And that they're going to turn that kind of, oh no, moment into a hmm moment, like a, a what can I do about this kind of moment. Um, I found that high expectations are important. So when the students see that you think they will succeed, you know, even when stuff goes wrong, they'll tend to rise to the occasion. And of course, you have to combine that with good lesson design and task design. That means that's not just an empty promise, right? You're not just, you're just being kind of positive with nothing behind it. Um, but this is the case for students of all abilities. Like some of my most satisfying moments have been with students who may not have been doing so well in general, but who come into this class and they, they put in the time and they problem solve with their groups and they produce something really great. And they are so satisfied and so proud of what they've done. Um, there's also, I, I feel like I've been lamentably late to the party on this, but the idea of uh, universal assessment design is a brilliant strategy 
um, in sort of achieving this. This is where you design a task for the weakest student in your class and you then build upwards uh, to provide challenge uh, for the faster students rather than the opposite where you sort of design it with the top student in mind and then mm. kind of dig yourself into a hole where you can't actually uh, scaffold it enough or cut it down enough to make it work for everyone. I've I've found that a, a bit of a revelation. <laughs> yeah, amazing. And something we don't often hear. So I'm so glad that you've highlighted that because it is, we often, it, we approach it the other way around. Mm, yeah. And, um, and yeah, as you said, we get ourselves into all sorts of, um, tricky, tricky scenarios. And then you kind of think about what does that mean for student engagement? What does that mean for growth? So I yeah, love exactly. this. Yeah. I love universal assessment design. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. That whole idea of scaling upwards to make sure that it is accessible and everyone feels like they can achieve and they can learn and they can be involved. Mm. I think that's so important. And I was just wanting to touch base again when you and I spoke a couple of weeks ago Catherine you were telling me about your engineering elective and how there was a whole semester designed around actually failing Mm. so here's something that is going to fail and how incredibly empowering that must feel for students to know that I'm actually expected to fail this like it's going to go wrong and that's the whole purpose I think that's yeah that's really That must be so liberating as well. Like I'm going to fail and it's going to be great. And then we're going to figure out a solution. <laughs> they still don't like it. You know, like who, who no one likes failing, <laughs> but it does, it does produce like a shift in the mindset that it's, you know, mm. it, it's just part of it. It's, hey, I can deal with this. This is not the end of the world. It's yeah. Mm. It's really important for them. Mm. It aligns really closely to that growth mindset that we talk about. Mm. But so often in education, we don't talk about it really in that failing forward and failing forward is good. And what comes Mm. with that is you're taking risks, you're learning with and from each other. And that failing is not always bad because surprises and unique insights come out of finding out a different response or a different outcome. Yeah, that's right. In fact, it's kind of interesting because I think teaching is really engineering. Like, where, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm teaching engineering, but as a teacher, you are an engineer of lessons. You know, mm-hmm. like you, you, you ideate, you come up with your ways to sort of um, to present something and you try it out in the classroom. That's like your prototyping and then you get some feedback <laughs> and sometimes it fails. You're like, OK, that lesson needs a rework. <laughs> But it's the same design cycle that you're actually teaching the kids to use with, you know, like rockets or, uh, you know, a mechatronic car or 3D design. That's a really interesting way of thinking about teaching. I've never heard anyone, I guess, phrase it that way. So I think that that would be something really interesting to take on board as someone who's about to enter the classroom and go, I'm actually engineering learning experiences, learning experiences for these students. And some of them probably won't work that well. And I get to go back to the drawing board and go, okay, what here didn't quite work the way I thought it would? And how can I adjust that and change it and tweak it slightly? That's a really interesting concept. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it it sort of occurred to me about sort of three or four years into my teaching. And when I thought about it, when it, it, when it did occur to me, I was like, oh, of course, (laughs) of course, it's like that. It has to be like that. (laughs) Um, could you share some of the specific challenges that you faced while you were introducing the engineering elective um, at your school in Canberra and how did you overcome them? <laughs> yeah, look, 
To be honest, I have been very lucky. Uh, so there was the inertia in getting the course going. Uh, so I had to prove by kind of putting my hand up for some other projects that such a thing, you know, might have legs, that it might it might actually be sustainable. Um, but once I'd shown that, the school was really supportive. So I'm super grateful to them for that. Um, planning the course itself was very time consuming whenever you're building something from the ground up, even though there are resources out there to help. I, I did so much work putting it together, you know, writing assessments, uh, testing things out to make sure that they were feasible. I had to learn a whole lot of new skills. Uh, I'd never done 3D design and printing before. Uh, I had a little bit of coding, but it was pretty rudimentary. So I had to kind of upskill there. Uh, basic mechatronics, uh, rocketry, all that kind of stuff. So I think finding the time to do that was a big challenge. And I really only managed it because I was teaching part-time. So this kind of you know, extended into my non-teaching hours. But it's one of the things I like the most about teaching, the learning of new things. So although it did take a lot of time, it didn't really feel like a chore. It was mm. it was exciting to be doing something new. Um, look, one thing that meant there were probably fewer challenges than there might have been was that I was really lucky to have in the department with me another teacher who had a similar liking for this kind of hands-on stuff. And so he and I co-taught and did a lot of the initial development together. And that also meant that in later years that one or other of us could, you know, go off and do other things and the course would survive. So, you know, in terms of, I guess, um, having a situation where the challenges were manageable, having the time to do it and the support both from the school and from a, a colleague was were the things that really made it a lot easier than it would otherwise have been. Mm, really great points there. And I really love that, you know, you did it, it sort of grew with a colleague as well. Mm. And so it's it's that both that aspect of, strategic so as you said that you know if something else changes or your role changes or something else comes along you know it's not just Catherine project it's not just you mm. um which I think sometimes we forget we forget about with with great ideas and thinking you know how do we how do we inbuild sustainability with with these ideas so they can keep growing and have a life yeah, that's right. That's right. It's got to be more than one person. It's, mm -hmm. you know, you become your own echo chamber if it's just you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And, the, you know, the chance to have a colleague that you can bounce off ideas as well mm. is, is really quite quite significant with that. So I was wondering if you could tell us about any particular STEM projects or activities that are significantly, um, that significantly increase the student engagement and participation and what made them successful? I think... Probably my favourite bit of the course in this regard is the rocketry semester. Mm. Um, so this has evolved a bit over the years, but the basic premise is that the students design, make and launch their own model rockets. And of course, we do it in the context of, you know, space exploration, uh, do a little space history. Um, I did like I had the most fantastic piece of luck the very first year that I did this um, a week before, might even be just a couple of days before the start of term, uh, Elon Musk launched the Falcon Heavy, like for the first time. <laughs> And it was when they managed to get, you know, the booster rockets to return to Earth and to land on the the drone ships. And I was just like, oh, my, they did it for me. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, you know, space is easy to get kids excited about. So that mm -hmm. that in itself uh, presents a really nice context. Um, but then the, the hands-on stuff uh, that... I managed to lay out was just so much fun. So they start by building kit rockets. So we buy kit rockets. 
but it turns out that the ACT is actually the only place in Australia where it's illegal to launch model rockets. So, <laughs> so we have the help of the Canberra Rocketry Group, who are a fantastically helpful group of guys. Uh, and they let us use their place out at Yas, so just over the border, uh, for mm. the launches. And they also teach the girls about safe launch procedures and so on. Um, we fit little altimeters into the rockets, little electronic ones, so that we can then collect data on velocity and acceleration uh, when they launch the rockets. And then we take the data back to the classroom. And I lay out for the students that their task is now going to be to design and make rockets using our 3D printers that will perform at least as well as the commercial ones but will be much cheaper uh, and so therefore you know more sustainable for the school um, and and that's when they start to really get engaged like it's you know it's very cool to build a kit rocket and, and launch it and it looks cool but once once it becomes your project that's when you see them their kind of motivation shift um, so each student in a group takes responsibility for a different part of the rocket so they've got nose cones and bodies and fin units and parachutes so they have to do a lot of talking and measuring and testing to get the parts to fit together, mm -hmm. um, which is really important. Uh, there are various optimization, optimization choices that they can make uh, with shape and materials. But there's always the safety net of being able to revert to the dimensions of the commercial kit rocket so that, you know, they've got like a, you know, if stuff goes wrong, they know they will in some way be able to get something that works in the end. Um, but the challenge is to make that thing not only functional, but as much theirs as they possibly can. Um, and at the top end for the kids who are really flying, there's a lot of opportunity for data analysis and physics uh, concepts to be incorporated because we collect that altimeter data. Um, and they genuinely get into it. The excitement when they finally launch the rockets is just brilliant. It's um, <laughs> it's really a great example of a project that everyone gets something out of. And and some of the, you know, the groups that I thought were going to struggle the most have been the ones that surprised me the most and just put together really beautiful little rockets that just flew fantastically well. Yeah, beautiful. That leads so well into the next question. Um, how did you... I mean, it's quite obvious how you fostered uh, wonder and curiosity with the rocket building lesson, but how do you foster a sense of curiosity and exploration among your students, in, um, I guess, in other STEM areas? So are there uh, any specific approaches or teaching methods that you've found particularly effective? Look, it is, it's a tricky one, but I think the best strategy is that you have to model it. Like you as the teacher have to be curious and interested and open to new ideas. It's really hard for the students to see the joy in being curious if they don't see that curiosity in the person who's leading them through a subject. So, you know, every time someone asks a good question or picks up on a mistake that I've made or wants to know more about something, I deliberately praise it, like acknowledge it and praise it. And if I don't have time to deal with it in that lesson, I'll ask them, you know, to follow up with me later. And if it's something I don't know the answer to, I'll tell them that and we'll either mm. discuss it together like as a class and we'll think about like, well, how would we go about kind of finding this out? Um, or, you know, I'll promise to look into it further and, you know, kind of bring it back into class at, at some later point. Um, elaborative questioning is really important. So, you know, you can you can ask a question of a student and they can give an answer and you could just leave that there. You know, it's, it's right or wrong or whatever. Um, but it's important to demonstrate that it's not just about kind of getting the right answer, that the thing that you're wanting them to get out of it is you should be aiming to dig deeper, you know, until you run up against something that's genuinely new. So 
when I'm asking questions of the class and I, I might use whiteboards or, you know, think pair share type thing or quiz quiz trade for high participation. So everyone's giving it a go. I'll then follow up with further questions that kind of pick at the details of what we've just had a look at, you know, a series of questions to get to the bottom of why something is actually like it is. And do they, you know, have they just thought about the, you know, standard right answer? Have they gone deeper mm. and really wondered why? Um, a last strategy I'll mention is the use of simulations, like the brilliant, those on the brilliant um, FET website, which I love. It's one of my favorite collections of simulations. Um, one of my favorite ways to explore a subject is to bring up a FET simulation, if they have a relevant one, and pull all the class together, like get them to sort of cluster all their chairs around the screen. Uh, and then elicit, sort of play the simulation and elicit a whole bunch of observations and questions from what we can see on the SIP. So not start by explaining things, just like, what do you see? What's going on? And then once you've got them properly interested and making predictions, then you can kind of segue into, you know, explanations and, and practicing kind of uh, describing concepts and things like that. But it's that initial kind of what can I see and what's interesting about mm. this phase that's really important. Mm, that inquiry and that student-led inquiry as well and that really fosters that deep thinking, curiosity, mm. wonder, creativity. And I think it also fosters, um, you know, and really promotes collaboration and teamwork as well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm interested, you know, what does that look like within a STEM classroom? Um, and, you know, the... There's a lot of a lot of comments that we we've had along for a sustained period of time in the education sector about classrooms and uh, female girl participation and and what that looks like. So I'm I'm interested, you know, what does what's that team? What does it look like? Sound like? Feel like in the, in the classroom? Yeah. So um, I in the classroom, I, I like I said before, I like to use a combination of kind of full participation strategies. So you're getting as many kids working on a problem at once as you possibly can and high expectations and good humor to kind of get <laughs> the students involved to kind of, you know, like this is we're kind of all in this together. And, and this is, yeah, it's going to be hard, but it's also going to be fun. Um, so I, I always organize my classrooms in groups. Uh, I choose the groups. They're usually groups of four, but, you know, three or five, depending on uh, sort of dynamics or, or numbers. Um, and I use student preferences to inform but not dictate who I put in a group. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I will pay attention to who they would like to work with, but it won't be the kind of overriding um, determiner. Um, I also shift the groups around uh, twice or three times a semester. So they are sort of forced to interact with other, with a range of different students. And I'll usually get, you know, at the beginning of the year, they'll sort of complain. like, Oh, God, I don't want to change groups. Oh, man. And then by the end of the year, they're like, oh, yeah, group time. No worries. <laughs> it's, you know, they just got so used to it. And of course you still get personality clashes and, you know, nothing's always rosy and beautiful every time. Um, but if you lay that out as an expectation at the beginning of the year that yes, they're going to be working in groups and yes, we're going to, um, you know, rotate them regularly and no, you won't always be with the people that you asked to be with. And you just kind of like you, you keep a kind of level head <laughs> in, in sort of dealing with their comments, then then in general, in most classes, it, it works out beautifully by the end of the year. I have had one or two classes where it just never really gelled for whatever reason. There mm. was just there wasn't a great dynamic. But, you know, that's that engineering thing again. Right. So sometimes it's going to fail. <laughs> 
Um, so I do use a lot of team building strategies from Kagan Cooperative Learning to get the groups talking to one another, particularly when you've just rearranged them and they're with new people. Mm. Um, and we also, in engineering, I've done some exercises using a rubric that lays out, it's a lovely one from the US, and I cannot remember its name off the top of my head right now, but it lays out what a member of a team should be doing in a group project if the team is to be effective. It's sort of mm. set out like a rubric, like here are the skills and here's what you do it if you were kind of just kind of barely making the grade and here's what a, like a competent person would do and here's what a really fantastic team member would do. And that is an excellent um, conversation starter about, you know, how think about how you are interacting with your group. How, how could we sort of shift things around so that the team was more effective? Mm. Um, yeah, so, you know, when the students are more comfortable, when they're comfortable with each other and when they feel that you're excited to be there with them and that you're not going to let them hide, they tend to respond well. Did you, sort of going back to that whole, I guess students tend to want to be in groups where they feel comfortable with the people because they want to be with their mm. friends, not with people that they don't know. Yeah. Obviously forcing them together is kind of, um, I guess, making them um, or preparing them for the real world because they're going to go into workplaces and they're going to have to work with people who they may not have, you know, a lot in common with. So it's just about, you know, we've got to work together. Let's figure it out. Yeah. When you were like, when you've been working with students and um, boosting participation and engagement in STEM, have you observed any changes in their attitudes or confidence towards STEM subjects as their participation increases? Um, and how do you encourage and support that growth? Yeah, yeah. Look, there have been a number of students who came in with a lack of confidence or kind of a bit of a no work attitude or, you know, I don't want to work with groups, um, but then realized that they liked the work and that they could uh, they could really achieve something and be interactive without it being awkward. Um, and they made a significant turnaround. Um, I'm sure this happens in a lot of electives where students experience something they haven't tried before and, and it's like a revelation. I don't think that's necessarily um, unique to this engineering elective, but it has been gratifying to see that we've had an increasing number of students from the school ending up in STEM fields when they head off to uni, like over the last decade or so, which is really good. Um, most of that support uh, happens in the classroom sort of to, you know, um, to support their their participation, their enthusiasm. Um, but I do always keep an eye out for, you know, events, experiences, programs and things that are going on around Canberra that will help grow the students' enthusiasm. Um, our careers advisor is also great. Uh, she and I have managed to um, have a steady stream of these sorts of things to keep the girls engaged. Um, but I will also say that, you know, one of the things that helps with promoting that kind of group interaction, I think a lot of the times when group work fails, it's when the kids have been kind of jammed together in a group or they've chosen their own group, but then they're given a very unstructured task and they're not really very good at kind of divvying up jobs and getting unless you have someone who's just that kind of natural kind of goal setter and, and leader they they tend to kind of faff around and then you know someone will get frustrated and and it just you know it it doesn't have the sense of achievement and then that what they come away from it with is our oh, group works crap mm -hmm. so I think you've got to certainly when you are getting your groups going, you have to give them 
activities that are highly structured. Um, and so this is where the, the Kagan stuff and the full participation tactics work really well because they're these sort of content-free structures that you can drop any content into. Um, and so the kids, once you've taught the kids how they work, you can say, oh, we're going to do like a, you know, we're doing a rally robin now, we're doing a fan and pick, or we're doing a quiz quiz trade, um, or uh, you guys are going to do a, a group activity where you're brainstorming ideas, but it's going to be, um, you know, the one where you write down your ideas as you go, there's like this little sort of sequence of activities that they do. And if they if they go, oh, yeah, we've done that before. We know how that works. Everyone knows what their jobs are. Off we go. Mm -hmm. And that makes the whole group work experience a lot less stressful for them. And therefore, they're more willing to, if you do later on introduce something that is more uh, unstructured and kind of up to them, they've got a few tools in the toolbox for like how they should progress. Mm. Beautiful. Really nice. I was wondering how important do you think it is for teachers to make learning experiences socially relevant? I think this bounces off really nicely about that development of group work and teamworks and, and, and structures, but also moving out into, you know, wider, wider realms. And I wonder if you have any examples of ways teachers can attach social context to learning. Yeah, that's it's one of the aspects of the engineering class that I've tried to push the need, like we said before, the need for engineering to be user focused, um, that there's uh, really a point, there's rarely a point uh, breaking it back to make a solution if there was no problem in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this emphasis on the needs of the user resonates well with the girls. They can see the social relevance and the social impact that engineering can have. Um, a great example of this is the Make Able uh, 3D Printing Challenge. So this is run in the US mm -hmm. um, and it's centered on uh, producing objects using 3D design and printing that make day-to-day -day life easier for people with disabilities. Um, we, the our school hasn't formally entered the competition. The uh, timing doesn't quite work for our sort of assessment cycle. Um, but the idea has made a really great context for exercises and assessments that we've done uh, in class, particularly when we're focusing on the 3D design and printing um, sort of skills. Uh, one of the things I like in particular is that they have this empathize step as mm. part of the design cycle. So you're, you know, you're getting to know your user and to put yourself in their shoes and think about what is difficult for them that I could make a difference to. It's a, yeah, it's a, a brilliant thing to look up. Yeah, really nice. We'll put that in the show notes for um, mm. listeners to, to connect with. Okay. I want to ask one last piece of inspiration or hope that you have for women in STEM, particularly from the perspective of our up-and-coming young women. And Catherine and Becky, I'm going to ask both of you for an insight here. Um, Catherine, I'm going to go for you first. <laughs> um, look, while we're definitely not at parity yet with women in STEM, I think we're kind of approaching a critical point. The girls in school today are going to find it easier to achieve what they want to in the STEM workforce than even those from 10 years ago. And those 10 years in the future will find it easier still. But there are always going to be challenges and setbacks. So I want girls to be ready for those, to accept them and to deal with them and not to slip into that trap of feeling that the world is against them because there are so many opportunities opening up for those who are kind of willing to step out and look for them. Mm, nice. Uh, I would say that I definitely agree with Catherine. Um, you know, you look at how far women have come since, you know, the days of 
schooling involved home ec and learning how to sew and cook and to become a good wife and now we've got girls who are you know preparing to become astronauts and they're helping to design space stations and they're uh, involved in building the future of sustainable cities i think women in stem and anyone in stem has just got such a breadth of opportunity and possibility ahead of them um Technology is changing every single day. We're getting more knowledgeable. We're getting more curious. We're getting more inventive. We're getting bolder. And I just think that there's so much exciting stuff that's on the horizon that hasn't even been imagined yet. And I can't wait to see what these young people come up with. Mm, bolder. I love it. I really love it. I love it. So Becky and Catherine, thank you so much for joining us for this episode in series eight of Teachers Supporting Teachers. I'm so delighted that we could have this conversation three-way. It's been so, so special. Thank you so much. It's been lovely. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. It was so lovely to chat to you again, Catherine. You too. has sparked ideas, provided comfort or supported you in your professional growth, I'd love for you to take a moment to share your thoughts on social media and I invite you to do this with the hashtag teachers supporting teachers or via comment on Apple. To access this episode's notes as well as other episodes and resources, feel free to connect on the web at www.exploreandcreateco.com or on the gram or on Twitter you can find me at Rallypops. I'd really love to connect. And I want to say thank you to Bankless Mooney for the music. And as you reflect on this episode, I'm inviting you to consider the questions. When have you had an idea and your gut tells you you need to lead change? And how are you going to be courageous about this? How will you foster creativity and curiosity? How will you increase student engagement and participation? And my favourite, how will you be an engineer of your lessons or teaching? Thanks for joining us. <laughs> <laughs>